and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to be going to the Circle K to go get some snacks. And while we're there, we're also going to decide to just go on a fun adventure of space and time and throughout history to hopefully not fail our history class. Uh, but, you know, uh, besides all that, we're going to be covering today Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from 1989. Now, this movie, I did not grow up watching or anything. I was born in the early 90s. And so I I never really watched it. It was kind of in my, like, you know, my view, if anything. I knew kind of what it was, but I never really... Uh I never really took the time to watch it. You know, I, I definitely grew up with watching, like, horror movies or, like, you know, teen movies or, like, obviously kid movies, but, like... um and like female led movies and and that kind of stuff and you know just look at my catalog of the show I've done but uh you know I um I never really I never really watched Bill and Ted really uh, I knew it was Keanu Reeves as one of his big roles that he had and in his early in his career and I I knew it was like these two guys I guess who were like I don't know, traveling through time, but I, I never really thought much about it, right? And it wasn't until I think it was last year that I decided to watch it because it was on, uh, I think it was either on Prime or it was on Showtime at one time as well. Uh, because the third movie, the Bill and Ted Face the Music, recently has come out in 2020, I think. And so, of course, that's on Prime. And so, uh, they had it on Prime, I think. And it was also on Showtime, like I said. And I, I finally was just like, you know what? Why not just slim? I'm just going to watch these. I mean, I don't really know really what they are, but uh, I'll go and watch them. And so, I watched both the movies. I watched both Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. And I, I will tell you this, I watched these movies and I kind of just fell in love with them. And the reason I think I fell for them was because I personally think that Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves do such a good job at making these characters, like, in some ways sympathetic and also just, like, likable in general. They're such... I love them for being lovable himbos. You know what I mean? They're very much just, like these guys who kind of live in their own little world. They're each other's best friends. And I really love that for them. And in the meantime, they're also going on these crazy, weird, insane journey that is just, you know, it's, it's really fun. And, and it's so like, not based in a lot of reality. Uh, the continuum of space and time and tra- time travel does not necessarily uh, have any kind of rules in this universe, which is fine with me. And, uh, I just think like, it is such a fun little movie. Uh, is it kind of dated? Yeah, I guess to a point, but I also think that even with its dated qualities or anything like that, I really do think that these movies are just so fun and definitely worth some kind of a watch. I mean, I, I love that it is uh, a little buddy comedy, but then it also turns kind of into an ensemble cast because then you have like, you know, in the the sequel you have like the the Grim Reaper, and then you have like, a kind of the princesses. You know, we'll, uh, I'll talk about those another time. But um, I'll talk about those ladies another time because I'm not the biggest fan of them. But oh uh, well. But um, but I uh, yeah, I think like with this, you know, it's just so. 
it's just a fun movie, and I, I wanted to cover it because I feel like it's very worth it. And I also, I didn't plan this at all, but I believe actually uh, it'll be in two days, I think, from when this episode drops. Uh, I believe it'll actually uh, be right around the time that this first came out in theaters, which is like super cool too. So, you know, uh, but without further ado, though, uh, we're going to go into little bit about the figures of this film a little bit of the production history and into also a plot summary of this film so without further ado let's get on to those figures so bill and ted's excellent adventure was released on february 17th 1989 and was written by chris matheson and ed solomon it was directed by stephen herrick and produced by scott krupf Michael S. Murphy, and Joel Sison. We're looking at an estimated budget of about eight and a half to $10 million, and a gross U.S. and Canada box office of $40,485,039, and a gross worldwide box office of $40,508,994. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 82% on the tomato meter and a certified fresh rating, and a 75% audience score. We're looking at an IMDb score of 6.9 out of 10, and a letterbox score of 3.7 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have Keanu Reeves as Ted, Theodore Logan, Alex Winter as Bill S. Preston Esquire, George Carlin as Rufus, Terry Camilleri as Napoleon Bonaparte, Dan Shore as Billy the Kid, Tony Steedman as Socrates or Socrates, Rod Loomis as Sigmund Freud, Al Young as Genghis Khan, Jane Weedland from the Go-Go's as Joan of Arc, Robert V. Barron as Abraham Lincoln, Clifford David as Ludwig von Beethoven, Hal Landon Jr. as Captain Logan, Ted and Deacon's father, Bernie Casey as Mr. Ryan, Bill and Ted's history teacher, Amy Stockpointen as Missy slash mom, Bill's stepmom, J. Patrick McMahonmara as Mr. Preston, Bill's father, Fraser Bain as Deacon Logan, Ted's younger brother, John Carlson as Evil Duke, Diana Franklin as Princess Joanna, Kimberly LaBelle as Princess Elizabeth, and Clarence Clemens, Martha Davis, and Fee Way Bill as the three most important people in the world. Some critical response quotes about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure are as follows. We have James O'Healy from Sci-Fi Movie Page who states, Whether you enjoy this piece of fluff in the Wayne's World mold, although not as funny, depends on whether you can stomach early 90s American teenager subculture and its lingo. We then have James Plath from Movie Metropolis who states, The humor is light and lightheaded, so much so that you'd have to say it's a stoner movie with no pot. And then we have Carrie Ricky from Philadelphia Inquirer, who states, Though its one-liners elicit the occasional chortle, when Bill and Ted don medieval armor, there's an obligatory heavy metal joke. The film doesn't engage because its heroes don't engage with the historical characters. So before we move into any kind of plot summary for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, we got to talk a little bit about the production history of the movie and also just how it came to be. So when talking about Bill and Ted, we have to talk about the screenwriters of the film, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson. Now, Ed Solomon has gone on to, he wrote 
Men in Black. He was also a part of doing the Now You See Me movies as well, I believe. And then Chris Matheson is actually from a kind of famous-ish family. Uh, His dad is Richard Matheson, uh, who is the writer of I Am Legend, which got turned into a movie, and also A Stir of Echoes, which also got turned into a movie with Kevin Bacon. And he also wrote some episodes of Twilight Zone. Um, He did the one at Nightmare at 20,000 Feet with William Shatner in it. And then also, he did the movie Duel. He wrote that movie. But Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson went to UCLA, and the screenplay was written in early 1987. And pretty much what it was based off of was a comedy stand-up routine that they had performed in college together as a duo. Uh, It was just these Bill and Ted characters. And... The screenplay that they wrote ended up getting into the hands of Stephen Herrick, who at this point had been done Critters. He then went on to uh, do Bill and Ted, of course, and then he went on to also make The Mighty Ducks, Mr. Holland's Opus, 101 Dalmatians. He was involved with other movies as well, and now he does TV things. But pretty much, he got this script, he thought it was super funny, and he was like, okay, this is going to be really fun, but this kind of humor is... um, (laughs) going to be either a really big hit or a really big flop, pretty much, because it was very targeted to a certain audience. And even Steven said it was shopping the film around to distributors was kind of hard, because Warner Brothers wanted to produce it uh, with a $10 million budget, but couldn't figure out how to fund it. And so eventually, the movie got picked up by Dio, you know, uh, De Laurentiis through De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. And he's, like, a very well-known, famous, like, uh, dude in film and everything. He did, like, King Kong and, you know, other movies like that. In a 1991 interview, so the co-writer Ed Solomon said that he envisioned Bill and Ted as, like, these 14-year-old skinny guys with, like, lowrider bell-bottoms and heavy metal t-shirts, you know? Um, who were, like, despised by the popular kids at school. But when he cast Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, this kind of changed the image of the characters, because once you cast these people, Alex and Keanu, uh, who just look like pretty cool guys, it's hard to believe that somebody would be picking on them. Although I think there was, like, deleted scenes of, like, for example, the jock in this movie, who, like, you know, would, like, kind of pick on Bill and Ted. But, you know, we never kind of see that they're, like, geeks or put upon. Do you know what I mean? So, originally, as a spec script, uh, this movie was called Bill and Ted's Time Van, uh, and the core plot was pretty much similar, with Bill and Ted on the verge of failing their history class, and then... It deviated, though, from the film version when they borrowed a van from the 28-year-old friend, Rufus. And then while driving the van, um, they end up in Nazi Germany. Uh, And after some hijinks, they bring Adolf Hitler back to present-day San Dimas before collecting other historical figures. So that was kind of a part of the original script. And Solomon said that, okay, this is not going to work. And Hitler was then switched out for Napoleon in their final script, which was a way better choice. Other ideas in the spec script were, like, more involvement with, like, Bill and Ted's classmates, um, having them time travel with them, visiting Julius Caesar at the Roman Empire, but then also inadvertently causing his death, um, and also helping a prehistoric caveman invent fire so they could, like, uh, smoke a joint, which is, like, kind of silly, which then kind of adds to, like, the interesting thing of, like, Bill and Ted have, like, this aura of being stoners, but I don't think they actually are, which is, like, really weird, but I kind of like, though. The van, uh, which was a 1969 Chevrolet, 
was abandoned because they thought it'd be a little too similar to the DeLorean used in the Back to the Future for trilogy. And you can also definitely say that Bill and Ted and Back to the Future, uh, they have a little bit of like similar openings, but overall they're different concepts, obviously. But yeah, you can definitely see there's some similarities there. And I think um, they changed it from a car, a van, uh, to then being a phone booth. Um, and they decided to replace that, which... Contrary to popular belief, uh, it wasn't intended to be like a Doctor Who reference because I don't even think they knew what Doctor Who was. And really, honestly, back in the 80s, I don't think that Americans really knew what Doctor Who was like they do today, unless you were really in the deep cut. You know what I mean? In earlier drafts of the script, like uh, other historical figures that they plucked from history were like Charlemagne, for example, which they just referred to as like Charlie Mangay which again, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, Babe Ruth, and then also a non-famous medieval person just called John the Surf, which I thought would have been really funny as well. So, okay, we get this movie, they get it greenlit, and they're able to make it, so now they gotta cast it, right? So, Stephen Herrick screened like 200 to 300 actors for the main roles, uh, asking actors to try out for both parts during the auditions. So, for example, like Pauly Shore and Gary Riley uh, were among actors who were considered for Ted, while for Bill, you had like Matt Adler, River Phoenix, rest in peace, uh, Donovan Leached, Gary Riley as well, Sean Penn, and then also up and coming actor Brendan Fraser also was uh, auditioned for the role as well. God, can you imagine a Brendan Fraser uh, freaking like? Oh my god, Bill and Ted, I would love it. Anyway, uh, Keanu Reeves was one of the first people to audition, though, and Steven really identified him as his Ted. Uh, and so pretty much it was a point to where, okay, we got Keanu, now we gotta find a guy to kind of match him. And so they did these different chemistry reads. Alex Winter then came in, who he came from doing uh, Broadway stuff. He had done that for a long time, and he actually had just been in The Lost Boys as well. And so they found that uh, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves both had a lot in common. Like, they both loved, like, the bass guitar, and they rode motorcycles, and, like, they just were, like, kind of similarly aged, too. I think Keanu Reeves was 23 at this time. I think maybe Alex Winter was, like, a year younger or something. So they were very... Uh, they had a certain rapport between them, um, which really did earn them the roles. Uh, a long-standing urban legend is that Keanu Reeves auditioned for Bill and Alex did for Ted. Uh, and according to Alex Winter, the story emerged so because uh, the characters are so similar. And they even get a little confused about who's who sometimes. But yeah, I mean, they were able to, to get it. And uh, Alex Winter was on a podcast, uh, Michael Rosenbaum's podcast, talking to him about, you know, just his life and his career and all that stuff. And he did remember, he said he remembered, like, getting the roles, like, when he was... I think they were at Paramount or they were at Warner Brothers or something like that. And um, he remembers the day getting that role and how it was something that really changed his life, really. Throughout rehearsals, though, Alex and Keanu, they worked on developing their Bill and Ted characters to kind of move them away from these like stereotypical comic slackers uh, and inserted some sincerity and other elements into them. So they developed mannerisms outside the script, like, you know, partially influenced by, like, Peter Sellers, Spike Milligan. They really kept to the dialogue that was already written. <laughs> Alex Winter said that the dialogue was very floral, so paradoxical to how you would think that dumb valley guys would speak. And... Alex Winter has said that to develop Bill's character, he borrowed the looks and trends that were popular at Venice Beach, 
you know, so for example, wearing his backwards baseball cap, pulling his hair through that opening on the baseball cap. And actually, so you have Bill and Ted there. Getting someone like Rufus was actually a huge happy accident when it came to George Carlin. So George Carlin, the role of Rufus had not been established when filming was starting. And they wanted to give the role to Eddie Van Halen because there's so many Van Halen references. But they uh, couldn't afford him. So that did work. <laughs> um, so they looked at other actors who could fit, like, okay, they want this person to maybe be like a rock and roll star or something. So they looked at, like, Ringo Starr, Roger Daltrey, Sean Conn. Honory even, and even Charlie Sheen. But they were like, oh shit, none of these people are comedians except maybe Ringo Starr because he was in the Beatles and they did like a Hard Day's Night and stuff. They were like, okay, but no, this is supposed to be funny. This is a comedy. So like, what are we going to do? So producer Scott Krupp and Bob uh, Bo- Bob Court had actually just finished the movie with Bette Midler and uh, Shelley Long, Outrageous Fortune, and that had George Carlin in it. And with the film's production nearly complete, they were able to get him on this. And when you notice it, yeah, like George Carlin's not really in this movie at all. He's in it for like a total of like literally like six minutes, which is just like really great. The three most important people in the utopian society of the future were envisioned to be ZZ Top, actually. Uh, However, Solomon himself had connections to uh, both the E Street Band, the Tubes, and the Motels, which are these bands. And that's how they were able to get Clarence Thomas from the E Street Band, Fee Waybill from the Tubes, and then Martha Davis from the Motels um, to be able to be these characters. And actually, a uh, fun little fact that Chris Matheson and um, Ed Solomon are in this movie. They play the waiters at the ice cream place, uh, which is really fun. And then also uh, the guy who did all of the guitar music, uh, Stevie Salas, is actually Rufus's hands at the end of the movie when he's playing guitar, which is really fun. So, uh, filming of this movie took place uh, over a period of 10 weeks. Uh, It was shot on about an $8.5 million budget, $10 million budget, somewhere around there. They included two weeks filming in Italy. So, Stephen Herrick was going for the same comedic approach to history as, like, the Holy Grail, like Monty Python and the Holy Grail had. They brought in production designer Roy Ford Smith for this movie. So principal photography was done in 1987 in Phoenix, Arizona and Tempe, Arizona. A lot of the um, scenes were filmed in and around Scottsdale Coronado High School. And Coronado's auditorium was torn down in 2005. Uh, but its unique roof and intricate exterior mosaic uh, seen in a... Uh, opening scene in the beginning, they were able to see that. The interior shots were done over at East High School, which is in Phoenix, Arizona. That place was actually demolished, and so they had that. There's also the scenes at Waterloo, uh, which is the water park, which is really funny because that's where Napoleon ends up at. But this is a combination of places of raging waters in actual San Dimas, and also Golfland's Uh, Sunsplash in Mesa, Arizona. And because of the limited budget, they could not close down the water parks for filming. And so all of the people in the background of those shots are actually paying customers of the water parks, which is really, really good. Bowling Alley was um, a uh, Fairlanes branded alley, but now it's an AFMF in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, And the mall is actually Phoenix Metro Center, which is so crazy because I literally thought a lot of this was done in California. So it's so cool that, like, they actually used Arizona for a lot of this. Uh, And, of course, we must talk about uh, 
Actually, that mall is now closed down, unfortunately. And, of course, we have to talk about the Circle K store, which is a very known part of this movie, and that's actually in Tempe, Arizona as well. So also there was some computer-generated imagery happening too, which was a big thing in 1980s. Um, kind of a new thing. And so when they were traveling through the circuits of time, these were all created by Perpetual Motions Pictures in Tempe, Arizona. Alex Winter has called the experience of filming in those booths really hard because to get the desired effects, this meant that multiple people had to stand inside of the booth uh, in front of a green screen. Um, and a lot of the times the equipment and the props failed and Keanu Reeves has even called it a death ride canoe uh, from the worst carny ride you'll ever be on. So shooting, I think overall shooting the film was really great, but doing those scenes were apparently really horrible, which I can imagine you have all these people uh, all together. So, all right, you make this movie and you film it. Now you got to think what happens afterward. And this is where it gets a little interesting. So initially, the film had ended with Bill and Ted giving their report within a small classroom, actually in their classroom that they were in earlier, and then going to the prom with the rescued princesses. And the production team recognized that this felt really underwhelming. And then they created the larger auditorium scene to give it a better sense of scale uh, with a light and sound show to get a more dramatic effect, which I think actually really works. The initial cut of this movie was two hours and 25 minutes. And listen, do I want to watch an almost two and a half hour Bill and Ted movie? You're bet your bottom dollar I do. But I also am glad it's 90 minutes because I don't think it needed to be that long. But anyway, it was pruned significantly. So one um, scene, for example, that was cut was a lengthy choreographed song and dance number that would have led... um, off the film so like Bill and Ted doing like their uh, (laughs) air guitaring on their way to school and and all that but that didn't happen Uh, in February 2020 Alex Winter found some stills from that filmed version of the scene uh, and he shared it on the internet Uh, he also believed that Kenny Ortega you know the uh, guy who did Hocus Pocus and High School Musical and that horrible Rocky Horror remake, oh Jesus, was involved with establishing some of the choreography based uh, on the time period and the recollection that he has. He said neither him nor Reeves could uh, dance prior to this, but I mean, he is from Broadway, so I think he can sing a little bit, which is kind of fun. But uh, the scene was rehearsed for like an hour a day. Also, he, uh, Alex Winter did talk about some other scenes uh, that he called that were cut like a scene involving the prom a running gag involving pudding cups which you'll see in the end they have like these pudding cups that the audience are eating which is really interesting and also the john the surf characters like um his character remains in the film's credits even though i don't think he's in the movie at all and so while they tried uh, to find the film reels with this cut footage uh, it's probably lost forever and ever but it would have been really fun And then, uh, this movie was supposed to be released in 1988, and filming and production had already completed on schedule, so that was great and everything. However, the original film distributors of DEG fell into significant debt in 1987, and by 1988 had filed for bankruptcy. Now, you know me, I've covered some films where, you know, it happens where the the production company or whoever is distributing it uh, just goes under. Um, (laughs) See my Elvira, Mistress of the Dark episode, and... uh, Uh, any of my other episodes I've talked about with that. But anyway, uh, at this point, the film was already in post-production, and Stephen Herrick really attempted to show the rough cut to other distributors, but uh, he said a lot of those companies were just confused about, like, are there kids who really speak like this? Like, what? 
The cut had an extremely popular reaction, though, from a test audience of volunteers who were pulled from, like, local malls, um, which, once they got that kind of idea of, okay, there is some interest here, that is then when um, there was a little bidding war going on. And so some of the other people who came from DEG ended up at Nelson Entertainment and along with Orion Pictures, who were able to get the distribution rights uh, for the movie, and then they ended up releasing it. So that's nice. And yeah, so Bill and Ted has kind of had this nice little, it was kind of a weird sleeper hit, I guess, really. Uh, it ended up making $40 million uh, across a $10 million-ish budget, which was great. It spawned a television show with uh, fake Bill and Ted, but also uh, the cartoon that had actual Bill and Ted in it and Rufus. I mean, they had action figures, cereal, uh, even they had at, at Universal Studios in Hollywood and in Orlando, they had both at Halloween Horror Nights for both of these places, they would have this Bill and Ted show that was very topical of the time and things like that. Um, and then, of course, they did make a third movie in 2020, Bill and Ted Face the Music. I have watched it. I am also about to own all of these movies on Blu-ray. Uh, it's coming in the mail. I did like that movie. It was perfectly fine. Uh, we do have to talk a little bit because we're talking about that Bill and Ted show from Universal Studios. So in 2013, Universal Studios kiboshed that one because apparently it was seen as homophobic because one of the points of the, the show that they did in 2013 was having Superman in there and Superman somehow became gay and he then was like really stereotypically gay. Uh, and then in 2017 or 2019, I think it was actually, they ended up... Um, kiboshing the show at uh, Florida. And now it doesn't exist anymore, but I'm sure you can find it online, and if you want to like watch it, you can. We got to talk a little itty bitty bit about um, how some people have argued that maybe Bill and Ted are a little... Maybe it's a little homophobic, but... I would like to give my opinion on that as a, a gay person. You know, like, when it comes to that... I will say, so in this movie, there is the use of the term, um, the F-slur, okay? And in the second movie, I think that's also in there as well. But, you know, I, I don't really think it's necessarily a thing that's homophobic. Uh, I don't think the overall story is. Totally understand why somebody would think that, uh, using that kind of term. I think that was also, unfortunately, something that was just used back then uh, as a term. And uh, again, you know, I'm not a saint or anything. I, you know, that, that term has been used. And, you know, sometimes you use it when you're joking around with people or whatever. And, and especially with other gay guys that maybe don't mind it, you know, whatever. But I, I overall don't think that it's horribly homophobic as a story or anything. Uh, I actually am somebody who sort of itty bitty believes that like uh bill and ted are just gay for each other honestly that's just my opinion really but um anyway i i really don't think they they are and i actually think it's really cool that both alex winter um who seems like a really cool guy and keanu reeves obviously is like beloved they have both said in the past too when people have kind of brought this up that you know even using a content warning like apparently now there's like a content warning before this movie where it says like there were terms used before the you know at this time that could seem a little offensive and i think even uh alex winter and keanu reeves have both said and have been on record saying that they think that having a content warning for this kind of thing is actually perfectly fine and you know 
if you feel like you need that for this media, that's totally fair. They don't condone the use of that word in these movies or anything. It wasn't right then, and it still isn't right. But, you know, it's one of those things where I think that's really admirable for them to say it, to come in support of, like, hey, it's okay to have a content warning for this kind of thing. Hopefully it doesn't sully your whole experience of the movie, because overall, the Bill and Ted movies are generally fairly tame and wholesome, actually. And I completely agree with that. But I think it's super cool that, like, uh, the, the the people who created these characters, you know, uh, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, who, who embodied these characters, they are coming in support of that, which I think is really great and very admirable. And then, of course, you have, like, uh, in the Face the Music movie, you have one of the daughters in the movie is a non-binary person, which is really great you know and and i just think that uh again i could see the argument for homophobia or whatever but i also think that these are just two like lovable himbos who are just like doing the most (laughs) and uh and i i really enjoy them and i think they're just a really fun duo honestly I personally, I don't think, I don't know, really. Like, I wasn't much for the Dumb and Dumber or the Wayne's World of it all. Like, I don't, I haven't really seen those movies, honestly, so I can't really comment on them. Like, in a weird way, like, again, a gay, um, but like, there's like a little bit of like Romy Michelle in here a little bit, you know, like... <laughs> like, just a little bit, but actually during the 80s, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like, I'm just like, I like that they're these kind of like, not geeky, but like still kind of in their own little world guys, um, which I think also is kind of in Romeo and Michelle a little bit too, where they're just these like girls who are kind of in their own little world with each other and they're each other's best friends. And I also love too that I think Bill and Ted are really supportive of each other. They don't fight a whole lot, if ever, which is really nice. And so, yeah, I just think like there must have been, I definitely think there has been some kind of influence on some of the other kind of buddy movies uh that bill and ted have you know and i do think they had some influence on that for sure just like how they were probably maybe influenced by like back to the future a little bit you know i feel like bill and ted has gone on to to influence some of the other buddy movies that have come about you know and and i really i think that's kind of cool you know am i saying bill and ted like somehow created romy michelle no i already talked about how romy michelle got created but I definitely feel like there's some similarities there and they're just gender swapped, if anything, you know. God, can you imagine a Romeo Michelle going through time? I'd fucking watch it. Oh, God. But anyway, <laughs> regardless of all that, uh, now that we talked a little bit about the production history of the movie and all of that, you got to hear my dog bark a little bit. Um, <laughs> we're going to move on with a plot summary of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So we begin our movie with a big diamond in like, uh, it's coming down from the, not sky, but like from the ceiling of a place. And there's this like real kick-ass song that is like playing. I don't remember exactly what the song is. I couldn't tell you, but God damn it, it is so funky and it's so fun. I love it. And this is where we get our intro to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And we see all of our cast of characters and all that, all the actors' names and everything. And so we have this intro to this big diamond thing. It's going to come back a little bit later on in the story. We then get our introduction to Rufus, who is played 
by George Carlin, the one and only. And he is introducing us uh, to the story and kind of introducing us to our main characters of Bill and Ted. And I would like to read for you uh, this little opening monologue that he has, actually, so that you can kind of get an idea of what we're looking at. So the monologue is as follows. Hi, welcome to the future. San Dimas, California, 2688. And I'm telling you, it's great here. The air is clean. The water's clean. Even the dirt, it's clean. Bowling averages are way up. Mini golf scores are way down. And we have more excellent water slides than any other planet we communicate with. I'm telling you, this place is great. But it almost wasn't. You see, 700 years ago, the two great ones ran into a few problems. So now I have to travel back in time to help them out. If I should fail to keep these two on the correct path, the basis of our society will be in danger. Don't worry. It'll all make sense. I'm a professional. So this is how we enter our movie uh, with learning about our actual like uh, lead character of the movie, Bill S. Preston. Bill S. Preston Esquire is his name, even though he's not an attorney, played by Alex Winter. And then you have uh, Theodore uh, Logan, or Ted Theodore Logan, played by Keanu Reeves. And they are in their garage. I don't know which house they're at. I think they're at... um. I think they're at Bill's house or something like that. Or maybe at Ted's house, actually. But they're playing guitars in the garage, as you do, and we get introduced to their band of Wild Stallions. And Wild is spelled W-Y-L-D, I believe. And so that's just, like, really silly. But we see that they're trying to make a band, and, you know, that's what you do when you're, like, a teenager, even though these guys are in their early 20s. But it's fine. And anyway, they uh, are playing their um, instruments, their guitars, I guess, but they end up breaking the speakers. So that was a fun thing, too. And they like kind of get blown away by the speakers. And they're talking about like uh, Van Halen and how much they love Van Halen and they're to make a most triumphant video. (laughs) They need to get any Van Halen or something like that. Uh, I talked about this earlier, but actually um, Rufus... Uh, they wanted to get Eddie Van Halen to play Rufus, but they could not afford him. So that's how they, you know, they ended up getting George Carlin because the producers of this movie had already worked with George Carlin on Outrageous Fortune. And so they were able to kind of get him in there. But now it's off to school with Bill and Ted and they're in history class and they're learning a little bit about Napoleon. And I think it, one of the lines is like, um, so what you're telling me, Ted or Bill or whoever is that, um, Napoleon was a short, dead dude. And so that's, like, really fun. And so then, um, like, the teacher, who's good old uh, Bernie Casey uh, playing the teacher, and he is, he asks, like, who is Joan of Arc to Ted, I believe it is, and he says Noah's wife, which is kind of a funny little thing. And so then, like, the class is dismissed, and they leave, and the teacher is all like, you know, hey, you two stay back. And they're talking about just, like, Bill is, like, knowing, they're pretty much being told, like, hey, you're about to, like, fail this class, pretty much. You need to do something really awesome to, like, you need to do something really really good on this final presentation to, like, pretty much pass. And I just love the way that, like, um, Ted is just kind of reading off of the board in the background. And 
it's just so silly and they are just so dumb but i love them for being dumb because you know this is kind of how some teenagers are honestly a little bit and so i put in my notes i said god i love these himbos and i really do i just think they're so fun and dim-witted and just really silly and i really enjoy them so yes i just i love these guys Anyway, then Bill and Ted are leaving school and they're like, oh my God, like, you know, we're going to fail all of this. Da, 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 da. And so then they're actually getting a ride home from Missy, uh, who is Bill's, I guess, hot stepmom is what we're supposed to assume. Uh, this person is played by Amy Stock um, Poynton. Um, and so she is somebody who I guess they actually went to school with. Um, we'll learn about that a little later. And anyway, they get a ride home from Missy, though. And so then Ted is dropped off at his house. And him and his dad are having a talk because uh, the dad got a call from the school and pretty much is told that, like, hey, you're on the verge of failing and flunking. And pretty much if you flunk, you're going to get sent to a military school, apparently in Alaska. And if he flunks out, pretty much. So you have that uh, going on as well. Then you have, so we already had our kind of intro to Rufus beforehand, uh, where I gave my beautiful dramatic reading, but then uh, we also have our intro to the great ones of the future. And these people are all played by different people who were in um, different bands at the time. So we have Clarence Clemens, who is um, from the E Street Band. We have... um, Martha Davis, who is from the motels, I believe. And they're all uncredited, by the way, too. And then also we have Fee uh, Waybill from the, I believe, the Tubes. And so they're all playing like the most important people in the world. Um, And we then see that the diamond from the beginning ends up getting turned into a phone booth, because I guess that is like the energy source of like what this is being turned into. And so we get this background that Rufus is now traveling back to what is to be assumed 1988 San Dimas, pretty much. So then we have that Bill and Ted are uh, then attempting to study. They're talking about like Abraham Lincoln, talking about a few other things as well. And so then um, we see that Missy comes in to like give the boys like a drink or something. And Missy's there being all hot and stuff like that. And then we get uh, intro to Bill's dad, um, who then like, who then pretty much, (laughs) so Bill's dad and Missy, they're like having this little flirt session kind of thing. And then Bill and Ted kind of get sent away to Circle K to like, they get some money or Bill's dad gives them some money to go be like, hey, go and like entertain yourselves. Because I guess they're about to like get it on in Bill's room, apparently. I don't know. And this is where like Bill and Ted, like they go downstairs, they're walking down in the Bill's stairs or whatever. And he's like, <laughs> Ted is all like, your stepmom is most hot though. And he's just like, Bill's just like, shut up Ted and then he's like do you remember when I asked her out to prom and then he's like shut up Ted and then you see just like Keanu Reeves just like smiling and being all cute and oh my god how could you hate these guys like they're so nice uh but anyway so then we see that Bill and Ted are outside of Circle K getting some snacky snacks trying to study and they ask about like uh, to the one of the workers they ask like some question and she's just like I don't know I just work here 
And but then, so while they're waiting outside the Circle K, they're just like loitering. They then come and meet Rufus, who has, you know, um, just come to like the uh, outside of the Circle K, I guess. Uh, and I guess Circle K, I don't really know about them around here. I guess that is supposed to be a, like, 7-Eleven, I'm assuming. Anyway, uh, we meet Rufus and the phone booth. We meet the phone booth. It's a character. And um, <laughs> we then see, like, we get their introduction to what they're doing. And then we also see Bill and Ted in present day, quote unquote, uh, meet future Bill and Ted, who then are also in like a phone booth as well. And it'll all make sense later. But anyway, uh, they are talking about like, you know, oh yeah, make sure you listen to Rufus. Like this guy knows what he's doing. And oh, hey, give my love to the princesses. And then like, it all makes sense later. So I'm like, and they're like, okay, like, what are we doing? And so they, they decide they're like, well, like, do you think this is a good idea? Like, I don't know. And they're like, you know, what else are we going to do? You know what I mean? So like, then what they decide to do is Bill and Ted, um, they decide to go with Rufus and they're like, all right, what the hell? And so Bill and Ted and Rufus, they all start to travel through time in the, the phone booth and they get sent back to Austria, 1805 which is where they see Napoleon for the first time. And so Napoleon, they see him for the first time because they're in the middle of the war that had Napoleon. I'm not a fucking history major, so I don't know. But uh, they see him for the first time. And then somehow, I guess because there was an explosion on the battlefield, he somehow gets either put into or he rides along with the space-time continuum. And I put in my notes, short dude comes back into present day. So Napoleon then comes back into the present uh, with Bill and Ted because they've come back to the present. I guess they were just doing a little test run or whatever. Now, I mentioned it earlier, but in the original version of the script, it was actually going to be a car that was going to be used uh, instead of a phone booth. And actually, instead of Napoleon, it was going to be Adolf Hitler who was brought back into the present day, kind of like Napoleon. And uh, I think Ed Solomon decided like, oh yeah, that's not really going to work. That's going to be kind of problematic. Uh, and then they just decided to go with Napoleon anyway. And I think Napoleon's way funnier actually, because he's just kind of this like random dude, which I think is really fun. So then what they do is they realize that Napoleon has come back with them um, by accident. And so what they do is they talk to uh, Bill and Ted. They talk to Ted's brother to pretty much babysit Napoleon and just be like, hey, we'll give you some money. Just like keep him like distracted and just keep him like interested, I guess. So Bill and Ted, um, they decide they're going to go travel now. They're told by Rufus that, you know, they got to make sure that like um, they're back within a certain time because, you know, San Dimas time is always running. All this kind of junk. And so pretty much they decide they're going to, with this uh, knowledge of them being able to travel through space and time, they decide they're going to kidnap some historical figures from years past. And so then, though, they're at Ted's house, and Ted is told he has to stay at home because he's about to just pretty much get sent to military school. They're like, pack a bag. Like, his dad's like, pack a bag. Like, you know, you're going to get sent off because you're not fucking doing this. And so then, so Ted is being told to stay at home. And then, in the meantime, Bill is actually impersonating the police because uh, Ted's dad is a uh, police officer, which you find out. And then also, uh, he impersonates the police, though, to help get Ted out of trouble. And so, like, Ted's dad, like, kind of leaves, pretty much. And then, so, Ted is able to escape, and he's able to kind of sneak out and everything. And then, 
well, yeah, pretty much. They decide they're going to be going uh, across the fucking, you know, history. And so they're talking about different people that they're going to try and, like, um, maybe visit or, like, they're talking about. I like how they have some of these names. So, like, for example, Sigmund Freud is Sigmund Freud. Beethoven is Beef Oven. Uh, so I think that's really just silly and stupid, which I kind of love. And I also say away they go uh, because they decide they're going to be traveling through history. And this starts their excellent adventure. Hence the title. But anyway, so then we see their first stop is they travel back to the Wild West. So they're like in the middle of wherever the fuck they are. And um, they're in the Wild West and they decide to get some beer because they weren't even carded, obviously, because this is like the 1800s pretty much. And of course they wouldn't have been carded. So they decide they see in this Wild West scene, they see that Billy the Kid, who is a noted Wild West criminal out there, they decide to kidnap him. And in the meantime, they also decide with Billy the Kid, they're deciding to play some poker along with him. So that's what they're going to do. So they do all of this. And then a bar fight uh, breaks out because Billy uh, is like (laughs) cheating pretty much or something like that. And he like flips the poker table that they're playing at. And so this incites a bar fight to happen. And so what they do and then like (laughs) I like in um, this scene, they do have like the line of like these guys are like, you know, being intimidating towards Bill and Ted. And then Bill is all just like, we are totally weak and we could not fight you. (laughs) because they're already knowing like we are totally not able to fight you guys but uh in this you know in the kerfuffle of all of this where they're getting tossed around and all of this uh at this bar they then end up taking billy the kid and they take him along with them on the journey um and so they leave the wild west and they decide to go further back in time And so now we see Bill, Ted, and Billy, they end up in ancient Rome, and they meet Socrates, which in this uh, instance is known as Socrates. And so pretty much what they do is, you know, Socrates is like uh, delivering a method, uh, uh, a lecture in the Socratic method to all of these people who are like watching him like philosophize and all this. And what they end up doing is Bill and Ted end up going up to him and they just decide to steal him and kidnap him. And so they get like, so Bill and Ted in particular, because of course, like Socrates or Socrates, uh, he doesn't speak English. He speaks uh, ancient Rome ancient roman or whatever the fuck they speak and so like they get a little philosophical with him because you know he's a philosopher and then socrates at that point gets nabbed by bill and ted and and gets taken along on their little journey going on and so then they take him as well then they leave and they actually go forward in the future i believe to 15th century england and so they end up in this 15th century England and they check out this fancy ass castle that uh, they see. And we're just like in the middle of wherever the hell we are. I love in my notes, I have Billy babysits. So crates. Uh, so like Bill and Ted are like, kind of like tasking um, Billy, the kid to like watch. So uh, Socrates pretty much. And so like they decide. Um, so like, I love the scene, like where they're looking at the castle or whatever, and they see there's like these girls there and they get intro to the princesses and all of that. And so 
Anyway, but I love how Billy and Socrates, they're just like playing catch in the background, which is like really silly and fun. I really like that. It's so nice. Now, my intro to the princesses. So these are princesses who are uh, in 15th century England and all that. And in my notes, I just have UG. Now, the reason for that is because uh, the thing about the princesses in this movie, and in all of the movies, really, I love women. They're great. But I, I um, these, these people, these characters, really don't make much sense to the plot at all. Not really a whole lot. Uh, I feel like there is a YouTube channel out there called Red Letter Media, and they have some really fun videos where they talk about movies, and they've actually covered the Bill and Ted movies and everything like that, and so I'm definitely lifting uh, this from them, which is why I want to give them credit, but like one of the people on this review that I watched uh, was saying that the princesses feel like this they're shoehorned in because of a case of what they call the not gaze. And if so, the not gaze as defined by this channel is like where a filmmaker will like shoehorn in or a screenwriter, I guess they'll shoehorn in this like pointless romance to happen so that you don't think that like somehow the character might be gay, pretty much the not gaze. And so, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, the princesses just are... Uh, the, first off, they're played by different people in each movie, so there's no continu- continuity there at all. But I just think, like, they are so inconsequential to the story, honestly, and I don't think they're really needed, honestly, and I really do feel like they were kind of just put in there so that people wouldn't think somehow, some way, that Bill and Ted were somehow gay for each other, which I think they honestly are just each other's best friends. I don't... I actually do kind of think they're gay for each other. That's just my gay ass thinking that. But, uh, you know, I I would love if they had their little homosexual adventure, like, completely. But I understand that they're actually not written that way, and they really are just, like, their friends and everything, and that's totally fine. But, uh, yeah, I just don't know why they shoehorned that in, but, you know, it is what it is. But what they do, and um, I'll get to this in a minute. So, like, um, so Bill and Ted, they infiltrate the castles, uh, you know, they're in these suits of armor. And so that's all fun and dandy. And so they decide to have this little, like, um, they're in these suits of armor and they make, like, a heavy metal joke, I think, which is, like, really funny. And so then they find these swords to fight with. And they're all like, you know, like, Bill, I am your father. And then they're like, whatever. I don't know. It's just so silly. And they're like sword fighting with each other in these like suits of armor, which is like really silly. I have in my notes, I say, God, I love these gay himbos. And the reason I say this is because there's a line in here. I don't remember it quite exactly, but there's a line in this in this scene where they say, oh, I guess I really do know how to like sword fight or something. And so this is not a child's children's show or anything, so I will just say this. So for any of the uh, maybe heterosexuals that don't know or something, uh, sword fighting is, in my mind, is horrible. Sword fighting is something where uh, two uh, generally gay men, or uh, maybe just men in general, I don't judge, two men get together and they take their erect penises and they just kind of like whack them back and forth as an intimacy tactic uh, during sex, pretty much, to, you know... uh, gain intimacy with each other of course my mind goes there and so for them to say like wow i guess i really do know how to sword fight my mind just went right to the gutter obviously but like i mean like i'm saying like i just think they're gay himbos personally so you know again hope there's no children listening whatever it's fine you have to learn someday 
But anyway, so then Ted falls down um, the stairs in his big suit of armor. And then Bill actually thinks that he is dead because he sees these guys at the bottom of the stairs, like stab into this like suit of armor. And they're like, oh, no. So then like Bill is so pissed and he's like, you killed Ted, you medieval dickweed. And so he's fighting this dude. Um, and then pretty much, though, d- uh, Ted is actually not dead because he comes up uh, uh, behind this guy with like a turkey leg and he hits him over the head with it. And this is like, oh, my God, Ted, you're still alive. Be like, yeah, I fell out of my suit of armor when I hit the ground. Even though that makes no sense, but whatever, we'll go with it. And this is where they hug with each other. And this is also where you have these uh, line of them using the F slur for this. And again, some people do not exactly like that term. And it maybe, you know, makes it so uh, that's one of the things that's dated personally. But again, it's one of those things they used it in you know, 80s movies, unfortunately. And I personally think it's one of those things where if you look past it, at least it's probably one of the only things that dates the movie, to be honest. And so I think it's just one of these things that they just did. But anyway, so then the boys actually meet the princesses and they invite them um, to their prom, actually, which actually, fun fact, uh, the initial ending of this movie was supposed to be them going to prom with the princesses, but that ended up not working out. Um, and they ended up going a different direction with that. And we find out that the princesses are actually getting married to these horrible men and Bill and Ted try to help them escape. And so they're trying to help them escape out of the um, out of the castle but they end up getting caught by the father i believe of the princesses and they are then put to death and that's where you have this fun line of like um put them in the iron maiden and they're like iron maiden <laughs> wicked and they do their little air guitars and be like put them to death and they're like bogus which i thought was just like really silly but anyway so then they're being put to death and they're about to get their heads chopped off, you know, as you do in the 15th century. And so then though we have Billy and Socrates, Socrates, uh, they save the boys because they're actually the ones who are dressed up like the uh, executioners and they end up saving them, which is really nice. And they escape via horse-drawn carriage, pretty much not like Cinderella horse-drawn carriage, but just like a literal horse-drawn carriage that they were probably brought in on. And so the dudes, uh, they try to escape and then they end up in the future. So the guys all end up like, so it's Billy the Kid and Socrates with them, but they end up going all the way into the future where we then see the actual future that Rufus is coming from and where the most important people are in the world are and all of that. And so Bill and Ted see the people from the future and they don't know exactly that they're actually responsible for this utopian society in the future. And so people are just standing around and they're just like kind of watching them because they see that they're kind of important, I guess. And they're like, Oh, okay. And they're like, I think they want you to say something, man. And so then they both decide to uh, deliver this, not even a speech, but it's more so just like they deliver the lines of be excellent to each other. And then Ted says, and party on, dudes. You know, and it's just like so fun and silly. And this is kind of just like the main kind of uh, 
if anything, it's the main thing of this movie and, and kind of their main little tagline, if you will, which we'll see at the end. But then, you know, you have that. Uh, so you have them in the future and they're going to be going on their adventures and everything. But then we go back to actual present day San Dimas and we see that Napoleon uh, goes to the ice cream parlor with the youths is what I have in my notes. So um, Deacon, Bill's little brother, takes him to the ice cream parlor this is apparently a showbiz pizza parlor which is like a place that you could go back in the day and we see these we see these waiters who uh there was like this challenge for like who can eat all of this ice cream and so they give uh napoleon eats all of this ice cream and these waiters come out and they give him like this little button with ziggy piggy on it and these two waiters are actually the screenwriters of this movie ed solomon and chris matheson so that's kind of fun. So then we go back and join our boys, uh, and they actually nab. Uh, so this is kind of like a just um, <clears throat> real quick succession of people that they kidnap, pretty much. So they nab Sigmund Freud. They get him, you know, Sigmund Freud. They get him. They then get Beethoven as he's playing the piano, Beethoven. Uh, they then nab Joan of Arc uh, as well while she is going and praying, you know, back in the day as she is. I also love that this is also Jane William Lynn from the Go-Go's, who I remember watching on The Surreal Life. Anybody remember The Surreal Life back in VH1 days? Ugh, the best. Uh, she was on there with, like, China, rest in peace, and Peter Brady and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I know, it's crazy. And she was also like, into BDSM and stuff like that. She was into that kind of community. And, of course, we shall not forget, she is also the singing telegram lady from Clue, where she gets shot. Spoiler alert. But anyway. They then nab Genghis Khan, you know, back in, like, whenever the hell, China. And then um, they also nab Abraham Lincoln as well. And so, again, you get this kind of quick succession of different kidnappings that they're doing, pretty much. Uh, it's, like, really, really um, kind of quick. And they're all, like, you know, traveling in the fucking phone booth. But we find out that the phone booth is actually busted, pretty much. And so we start to see that there's something wrong with it. And then we're back to Napoleon and the youths. We have to come back to them because, again, this whole scene, all these scenes beforehand are showing what Bill and Ted are doing. But now we're back to Napoleon and the kids. They're bowling somewhere. And this is where, like, you have Napoleon who, like, gets his, like, little bowling ball. And he's, like, trying to, like, bowl down the alley. And then, like, he ends up, like, on the, the bowling lane. And he's just, like, mad, 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 mad. And it's, like, really funny. If you don't already know, merde is uh, kind of a, a term. It's a shit in French. So it's just, like, really funny because he's French. But anyway, so then um, the kids that, you know, are with him, they ditch Napoleon, and he then gets thrown out of the bowling alley because he hasn't actually paid for anything because he has no money because he's not from this time period. But anyway, so... Then we see that because, again, the uh, phone booth is busted, so, like, uh, they end up in actually prehistoric times, and, you know, fun fact, fun little thing. We don't see um, dinosaurs or anything. Uh, I think that would have been a little too high budget. This is not uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, don't worry. We're going to do that one at some point. Got it all planned out, y'all. That's a little fun little thing in the future. <laughs> We're going to... Uh, 
But they're so pretty much they're like, okay, so the booth is busted. We got to end up back here. And so like um, (laughs) Bill is trying to fix the phone booth antenna because they see that it's kind of busted. And then Ted is just uh, plying the figures, the historical figures with a bunch of snacks that he has from Circle K. So (laughs) so they're actually able to fix the antenna that's going on and then also we see that there are some uh cavemen i believe uh that we see once they're actually leaving um we see that you know there's these cavemen so again there's no there's no dinosaurs or anything i think it would have been a little too high budget but um we do see that representation of them being in prehistoric times so then the bill and ted's meet up so again this is coming from earlier in the uh movie where uh at the circle k they see the bill and ted's from the future so they actually meet up with them and then they end up traveling to San Dimas tomorrow, pretty much. I know that sounds so weird, but pretty much like they've gotten all their people that they need to get for their history report. And so they then travel, they see their selves and then they travel to actually San Dimas uh, the next day from where they were already at uh, because they have to go do their history report. And so then, like, uh, the gang comes back, and they end up at um, Bill's house, and Bill's uh, hot set mom is all like, you know, you can't do anything if you don't, you can't go anywhere if you haven't got your chores done. And so, like, the gang, I just call them the gang, the gang helps Bill out with his chores and all this, so that you see each one of them, like, doing something a little different to help... um, get the chores done for Bill so he can actually leave and go places. So then uh, they decide, Bill and Ted, they decide to take all their historical figures and they decide to head out to the mall. And so they're like going to the mall and then they um, all go up the elevator. No, not the elevator, the escalator. They all go up the escalator. And like, I love how they're like, hey, so crates don't like get you know, don't let your toga like get, you know, wrapped up in that or anything. They have a little buddy system that they have. It's like really cute. And so like, you know, they're just like going out and they're just like having a good time and learning about what the mall is, which is like really fun. And so then in this sense, we then see the beginnings of the history presentations. Now, this obviously had to be done for, you know, because it's a movie, but like, when the hell have you ever had presentations like this, like in an auditorium like that, like ever? I don't, I don't remember it. I feel like this is a strictly like movie thing because I've never seen this in ever my life, but whatever. I, okay. But anyway, so we have the beginnings of the history presentations. We see a girl on stage who is like giving her history presentation. And then, you know, we see that Bill and Ted's supposed to do theirs. And so they're doing theirs last or they're scheduled to do a last. So then we see Bill and Ted, they are at the park and they confront Deacon because they ditch Napoleon or the, you know, Deacon ditch Napoleon. And so they don't know where he's at. So they have all of their other people, but they don't know where Napoleon is and be like, well, we thought you told him to watch. We told you to watch him. So then they wonder, okay, like, well, if I was, um, (laughs) if I was like a military leader or something, where would I go? And they end up going to Waterloo to go find Napoleon, which is just funny uh, if you know anything about history is because Waterloo is like this part of a like war. Uh, and then Napoleon was invo- involved in that. And, you know, go look it up. I'm not a fucking history book, but I, uh, I just think it's funny. Abba sang about it in the song Fernando. Check out my Muriel's wedding episode. But anyway, so <laughs> like, but I just think it's funny that this place is called Waterloo. It's like a water park. And of course, Napoleon ends up there. 
He then, so we see him actually be there and like try to understand what this place is. And so then he ends up going on a water slide. Um, cause he's like really interested in that apparently. And he's just like, is really, really interested in this water slide. And he just keeps going down it. Um, and again, it's funny because it's Napoleon and like Waterloo is a part of Napoleon's history. So it's just funny that they have this. I did mention it a little earlier, but because of budget restrictions, uh, they weren't able to get this place closed down for filming. So they had it for themselves and to have hired people. So a lot of these people and pretty much all of them who are like at the water park literally were actually just paying customers of the water park. That's how, when you think about it, like this movie was like eight to $10 million of a budget, but that's still fairly low budget when you're talking about movies. So it's like, that's insane to me, but yeah, it's just so funny. But then Bill and Ted find him and they take him back to the mall where all the other people are. But then what happens is because they're looking for Napoleon, we, we then have some stuff going on at the mall, y'all. So while they go and find Napoleon, uh, the figures, the historical figures are all let loose at the mall. So we have each one of them is kind of having a different like vignette, if you will. So like at the music store, you have Beethoven there. He's talking to the guy. Not even talking because he's deaf, technically. But anyway, so, like, um, he's, like, there at the music store. And the guy at the music store is kind of talking to Beethoven and having, you know, he's playing, like, a little bit of piano. Uh we then see Billy the Kid and Socrates are trying to pick up these chicks, but then like Sigmund Freud is there with his like little um, corn dog he's eating, and like the corn dog is like definitely a phallic symbol, and so that's like really funny, and they're getting kind of cock blocked by um, Sigmund Freud because why wouldn't you? Uh, and then Genghis Khan is at like the sporting goods store and he's like doing some shit. We see Abe Lincoln is at the photo studio back in the day. We had the photo studios there and he's kind of wreaking some havoc or whatever. We then see that there's aerobics going on at the mall um, with this aerobics instructor. We see that um, Joan of Arc has decided to take on the aerobics and actually teach it and all that, which is really fun. And they're just wreaking havoc at the mall, y'all. Like, these, like, uh, historical figures are just literally wreaking all the havoc at the mall as they would because they don't know what this is and they just think it's really weird and silly. But whatever. Okay. So then you have... um, all of the historical figures, they get arrested because, of course, they did because they are literally just wreaking havoc at the mall. And so they get arrested and they're all brought to the station. And so in the meantime, as we're seeing that, we do see the second presentation, which is delivered by the jock of the movie, who is talking about, I don't even know what the fuck he was talking about, but he was talking about something and he just says, Sydney was to high school football rules. You know, and it's just, like, really silly, and that's kind of a fun little quote that people have from that. Yeah, we just see that it's, like, you know, this jock and his, like, little history presentation. So then we go back, and this is where we start to get, like, kind of, like, a quarter of the... Uh, we're, like, uh, near the end of the movie at this point, almost. We're, like, a good 60% done, I guess. And anyway, so, like, we see that Bill and Ted and Napoleon because Napoleon was with them. They end up uh, asking Missy for a ride over to the, like, to the police station um, to try to free these historical figures. And so, you know, they're driving over there and they're getting driven over there. And so they're going to try and free these people because they're like, okay, they all got arrested. Like, we need to get them so we can go do our presentation. And then I write in my notes, I said something about keys to break out the historical figures. So if my understanding serves me from this movie, I believe what had happened was that Bill and Ted ended up going into the future 
or no, sorry, I guess the past. They ended up going into the past to like get the keys from Ted's dad and like put them in a place where like they could get them at this present moment. And so then like they did get that. And so that's how they were able to get the keys to break out these people, right? And so um they end up getting the keys from there. And so they're actually able to go and break these these people out. So that was my whole kind of thing. That's where this movie starts to get like kind of weird to me, where I'm just like, wait, what the fuck is happening? But you know, it is what it is. <laughs> okay, there's there's only so much continuity in this movie, but it's okay. We see that Bill and Ted are making their way through the police station. So for example, like they have this thing of like they must have done things they're traveling throughout time to help kind of with them. So like with the keys thing, and then also with like this recording that they did where like they had this recording going on so that it lured Bill's uh, or lured Ted's dad out from behind his desk to like, go look for his like son and his friend or whatever um, so that they could then go and break out these people. And we see a lot of this was just playing with that kind of time travel. Again, none of this is like, time travel is really not all that real anyway i don't think but generally none of the laws of time travel uh exist in this story because it can't but that's totally fine and then they break out the history figures which is nice and they, they break them out of jail they break them out of the pokey if anything and then they're off to school man and so they're off to school and they decide all right we're gonna get y'all back together so they end up getting a van or they end up getting some sort of thing where they're able to stuff everybody into a a fucking car i guess they just drive over to the school as you do uh and so they're off to school there and so this is also where like you know they almost think like well the the history teacher thinks that they're late pretty much and that you know they were supposed to be like the last presentation of the day and all this. And, you know, you all could just go. But then, then in my notes, I just have uh, Bill and Ted's excellent history report. <laughs> so this is pretty much the end of our, you know, we're getting to the end of our movie. And so pretty much what this is, is like their history report. So they have the lights go down. They have like the speaker going on and they're like introing their show pretty much. And this is just like a whole fucking show. Now I did mention it earlier, but this, um, ending was actually just supposed to be literally in the same classroom from the beginning of the movie. And it was going to be like this presentation as you do. They actually did shoot some of that, and then they found that it really wasn't working, so they ended up moving this to be this way, um, which is probably why it was like this anyway, and so to make it a little bit more grand of scale and to kind of just really make it a bigger a bigger kind of ending, which is which is fun. And so some things I noticed was that, of course, there's pudding in the audience. Like, some of the people are just eating pudding cups, which I don't really know why. Apparently, it was something that was in the script, but then it kind of got cut. So really, we, I really don't know what the significance of the pudding was at all. Um, so there's that. But we do see that each figure gets a little segment of this. So each one of them gets to, you know, we get to learn about each one of the historical figures. Um and, you know, why they're important to history, what they're going to do when they go back, and all that kind of fun stuff, which is, like, really fun. And so then um, we have each one of our people. So we have, like, Sigmund Freud. Oh, there was the, this is also uh, the little fun thing where, like, they say Joan of Arc is going to start, like, a aerobics program when she goes back to her, her time period. Uh, we have, like, uh, Sigmund Freud, I think it's funny because, like, there he's uh, therapizing, I guess, 
what is it like i think he's therapizing ted or something like that and then um he says something about with bill and bill says something about oh no it's just i just have a minor oedipal complex or something and i think that's kind of a fun little um joke that goes over kids heads uh if you don't already know oedipal complex is where you are interested in like killing your father and marrying your mother or something like that from oedipus rex google it but anyway so you have that um i went to theater school so of course i learned about oedipus and shit and like electra and all that kind of stuff but then we have the wonderful fun abraham lincoln speech which is i think really really fun and so i will actually deliver it to you now so we have abraham lincoln who goes up he's the pretty much closing uh presentation i guess and he says four score and and he checks his pocket watch Seven minutes ago, we, your forefathers, were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure conceived by our new friends Bill and Ted. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time, just as it's true today. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes, which is just like really fun and silly. And of course, that's part of like just his famous, famous speech. Um, but then we see uh, that's how this pretty much ends. And so, of course, they get this like round of applause, this like standing ovation. And then uh, they're uh, closing out their little show that they have. And then they're going back into like the, uh, they're pretty much going back into the, the phone booth to, I guess, drop off each uh, person back to their time period. And so this is kind of a fun little, it's, sort of educational where you get a little bit of like who's who in this presentation and you know you get to learn a little bit about them which some of it's actually kind of like historically accurate which is nice and so then we are wrapping up our movie where we have bill and ted in the garage uh you know they've had such a journey that you know have traveled throughout space and time and history and everything and you know they're talking and then rufus comes back and rufus and the babes the princesses they come back to present day where uh rufus has taken them to the mall i guess and have uh, decked them out in like uh, more modern attire for the time being and yeah this is where we end up with the babes the princesses um and bill and ted they end up together which is kind of nice i guess that's cute and this is where they also like are decided to put their band together of wild stallions because they have to because of course that's what ends up like making this utopian society in the future but this is like they're uh they're getting together so like you know rufus shows that he can like shred a little bit on the guitar and then like the guys then the the babes they're getting together and they're gonna have their little band and so they go like one two one two three you know all this and then they're playing and they're not very good but then the final lines of this movie if i'm not mistaken are they do get better i you know and so and that's literally how you end the movie so i just think that's like so fun and uh yeah but they do get better And that is the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So in regards to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I said it at the top of the show, but I really do think that this movie is just so fun and enjoyable. Um, Yeah, it might be a little dated with some of the the 
you know, terms that they've used or just some of the like visual effects they've used, but I don't give any kind of a shit about that. I, I think that this is a nice little movie about these two kind of dim-witted himbo boys who just really are trying to to uh, not fail their class, and they end up having a really good time um, in the process. And I just think that it's just such a fun little movie that um, it's so weird to me, too, that these are PG movies. Uh, I think the last one is PG-13, technically. But yeah, both Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey are both PG, uh, maybe by 1989, 1991 standards, I guess. But I, I do absolutely think that these are kind of like little... Like movies that are are kind of wholesome and family friendly, you know, and and you can watch them with your family generally, and I, I think that's really fun, and it's really good. So, right now, where you can stream them at, I believe you can stream them on. I watched it on. You can get uh, Australian Netflix. It had it on there. Uh, that's how I just watched it recently. Although I am going to be owning these, uh, all three of these movies, on Blu-ray in a little bit when it comes in the mail. But uh, I. Watch them, uh, but they make the rounds sometimes. They make the rounds on, like, Prime, or I've seen them on Tubi before. Like I said, they were on Showtime, uh, like, last year for some reason. And so, I think we're on Freebie. They were on Freebie just not too long ago. So, they make the rounds where you can find them for the free a lot of the time, or maybe, like, a subscription or something. But, uh... I would absolutely like watch these movies. I would, I would rent them if anything, you know, uh, yeah, at least the first two, the, the face the music one. If you, if you have prime, I think you can pretty much watch that one. Uh, but yeah, I would, uh, I would say at least watch those ones and watch all of them. Why not? But I definitely think they're worth a watch. I think it's such a fun little, I can only say this because it's the only one I've watched, but I, it's the, one of the best led male led movie, uh, like buddy comedies that I've watched personally. Um, maybe I need to watch like Dumb and Dumber and like whatever else. Like, uh, what was the other one? Dumb and Dumber or like uh, any of these other ones, whatever. I can't even think of them right now, but uh, it's the best one to me. I think it's the most fun and, you know, I enjoy it. So definitely give Bill and Ted a watch for y'all. I mean, it's it's worth worth your time wholeheartedly. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. In case you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle, and Twitter handle is Cult Cine Circle. On those platforms, I tend to announce the different episodes I'm going to be doing. I'll make little Instagram stories when we have an episode drop and just generally interact with anybody on there that wants to interact with me. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log the movies that I watch and write little reviews about them and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much out there everywhere. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review so we can grow the audience more and also just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast where I'll be covering 1991's Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. 
Amiable slackers Bill and Ted are once again roped into a fantastical adventure when Denomalos, a villain from the future, sends evil robot duplicates of the two lads to terminate and replace them. The robot doubles actually succeed in killing Bill and Ted, but the two are determined to escape the afterlife, challenging the Grim Reaper to a series of games in order to return to the land of the living. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, and remember, be excellent to each other, and party on, dudes! Take care. Bye.